Tubals in a China Shop is brought to you by these great companies that are giving us money to let you listen to their stuff. Bullshit, Kyle. We make this show. We make this show. You and me. Tubals in a China Shop is brought to you by us. <laughs> Someone's got to pay the bills, Dan, because it's not our trading. <laughs> <laughs> All right, roll them. You are listening to an entertainment program put together by a company called Financial Ineptitude. Anything said on this show is not an endorsement or professional advice. Would you really want to tell a court of law you were suing us because you thought taking financial advice from two idiots on a podcast put out by Financial Ineptitude was a good idea? Really? Clown hats on your face. Oh, well, hello and welcome, everybody. Welcome to the China Shop. We are back here with another exciting guest interview. Uh, Dan is taking the day off. He's still in the process of moving to Vegas. Uh, but uh, joining me today, we have got a shop favorite, Dr. Hans, the investing tutor. Dr. Hans, how are you doing? Oh, Kyle, doing very, very well. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's been, uh, we've been trying to get you on for, oh, geez, I think, uh, I think most of the year, actually. Just seems like uh, you've been a busy guy lately. Yes, it's been quite the year from launching a new NFT project to, you know, focusing on selling it out and now transitioning, you know, back to the investing tutor, you know, because now it's like you're managing two different companies and not to mention... Mm. We've also been blessed with a little, uh, a little one. She's uh, six months uh, now, Paisley. And uh, uh-huh. <laughs> so two, <laughs> two companies plus, you know, two kids. It's, it's quite the ordeal. How old was the, uh, the older one? He's two and a half, uh, Princeton. Oh, oh, that is the age where they get tough too. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, the last time we spoke was actually during the Festivus episode, and you were telling us that you were, had some exciting stuff going on with NFTs, but we never got a chance to follow up. So maybe you want to speak a little bit about the project that you just mentioned? Yeah, absolutely. So I was looking at the NFT space when it became you know, huge in 2000 and uh, like 2021. And mm-hmm. the thing that stood out to me was there was so much like hype around kind of just the digital art pieces. And I felt like individuals were missing the utility, meaning if I buy this thing, what is it going to offer me, right? Mm -hmm. And the reason that's important is because someone who isn't really big into crypto or someone who doesn't kind of collect art, that individual would would want to know that, okay, I'm buying this thing and I'm getting X, Y, Z. So I was looking at this space and I was like, The reason this is also important is because if we don't have really great utility associated with NFTs, what's going to happen is that we're not going to be able to onboard a diverse group of individuals into the NFT space. So I went ahead and thought of this idea, okay, what would be an exciting thing that individuals would love, you know, as it relates to you know, being able to experience different cultures. That was the idea that came to me because... Oh, okay. That sounds interesting. Yeah. Because looking back, and I'm digressing a bit, looking back when tech, like late late 90s, when tech was was booming, Mm -hmm. you notice that it, you know, you didn't have a ton of diversity in tech back then. So this time around with, you know, NFTs, you know, booming, I was like, well, what if we could, you know, onboard so many different cultures mm-hmm. across the, the globe into this space? So that's, a, that's when the idea of royals came in. So the idea is this. 
each royal's collection will showcase a particular culture right through the artwork okay specifically we're gonna focus on showcasing this culture through fashion right ah okay something that most individuals just are used to so it's not like they need to you know have a huge art sense to be able to (laughs) you know right yeah it's a little more accessible exactly so showcase different cultures through fashion and allow the nft to serve as an invitation to be able to visit the country or the culture being showcased, right? So So it's like a digital trip almost? Exactly. So the first country slash culture that we're showcasing with this first initial collection that we dropped in March of this year is Ghana, where you know where I was born and raised. And we are you know showcasing Ghanaian culture and also inviting all NFT holders. And we minted three thousand NFTs. Okay, we're inviting the NFT holders to Ghana this December and for a full week in Ghana from December twenty seventh all the way. Through through January 2nd, we've curated different experiences and events in Ghana for NFT holders. And one of the largest during, um, you know, this this week that we've put together is the Royal Gala. So obviously the NFT is the Royals mm-hmm. and we're hosting a Royal Gala in Ghana. And the idea is it's pretty much a seven hour event where individuals who come in are able to fully be immersed in, in the country's culture from our Broadway plays to our music, to our artists, you know, you know, celebrities, to our food, um, you know, dancing, drumming. Yeah. And we're, we're connecting the NFT holders to local designers who will make um, different clothes for them so they can actually wear it to the gala. Oh, that's neat. The simplest way I like to kind of define it is that it's like Met Gala infused with African culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's the quick um, kind of description of the NFT, but I can go into, you know, even more utility, like we provide financial and personal development education as as part of uh, one of the NFTs. Also, we provide personalized travel advisory services so that when an individual is traveling, they don't feel like, oh, what do I need to do? Where do I get my visa? Right. Who do I call if I have any kind of questions on the trip? We curate and provide a concierge service for all NFT holders. So they don't even need to think about what do I do. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I was thinking that it, I was trying to uh, visualize that in my head of like an itinerary that's actually an NFT. Yes. <laughs> Where I'm trying to look on my phone to see like, okay, so this this token that I have is now what's holding all the information for my travel plans. Is that what you're saying or is that something in my off base? That is, it's a part of it, right? Because we are creating itinerary of experiences you can have. Mm-hmm. The NFT is the main invitation. Without the NFT, we don't, we don't, you cannot be considered a royal, right? Gotcha. And when you have the NFT, now you're a royal. So we are what laying out kind of the, you know, the red carpet. Right. And treating you as royalty when you land in whatever country that we host this experience. Okay, so the NFT is more like your ticket. Exactly. In this case. Exactly. It's the ticket to the experience. So an NFT, like the way I'm used to seeing them is like as a digital artwork, right? 
Exactly. So is that what this is too? Like, do they get something that's like a digital picture of, of something to do with Ghana that like gives them a, like a memory kind of keepsake almost? Absolutely. Remember we talked about it, the mm -hmm. traditional um, attire or outfit, the clothing. Right, right. Fashion. So each NFT has a different look. You can see guys in, you know, traditional suits. Mm -hmm. and, and we have two different fabrics that we are showcasing. There's the Kinte fabric and Ankara fabric. Kinte is, is typically the royal fabric of Ghana, mm -hmm. right? You, you, don't, you can't wear Kinte just to go to the park. Or, you know, okay. <laughs> or you hang around at home. You, you wear kente if you're going to an event that is one, once in a lifetime, right? It's so important that that's where you kind of want to save and wear your kente outfit to. Whereas Ankara, it's a very colorful, dynamic piece of clothing. You can wear it anywhere, you know, to work. You mm -hmm. can wear it to hang out. You can even wear it to even big occasions. But then that one has more of a, you know, diverse uh, use case to it. Yeah, it's it's like your it's like the difference between a tuxedo and like the clothes you wear to like uh, to work. There you go. Yeah, such a phenomenal point. Mm -hmm. So, are you guys planning on doing other countries then too? Are there any in the works at the moment? Absolutely. So we haven't identified the next country yet. Mm -hmm. Yet. But that is the plan. Like literally, we want to be able to travel the world. So India, Japan, UK, US, mm -hmm. I mean, Hawaii. Well, Hawaii is in the US, but, they, you know, Hawaii has a culture. Yeah, Hawaii is its own thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because the culture is super important right. to, you know, Poland. So the sky is the limit, but essentially the concept is get this NFT, mm -hmm. right? So that when you arrive, you're treated as royalty in the country. You're not coming as a tourist, right? So, so our tagline is don't be a tourist, right? become a royal. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Who doesn't want the red carpet treatment? I know. <laughs> so that's what I've been working on. Um, so we sold out all 3,000 NFTs, but there are a few, I think about 20 or so listed on OpenSea, mm -hmm. and we're expecting about three to 500 of our royals in Ghana this December. That's awesome. Uh, wh where can people uh, find out more about the, the program and the NFTs themselves? Yeah, absolutely. So the website is the royals, so T H E royals dot art, A R T. And I'm sure we'll also share it in the show notes. So the royals dot art. Or if individuals are kind of new to NFTs and, you know, you just want to reach out to me mm -hmm. to inquire, you can, you can reach me at Hans at theinvestingtutor.com. And I'll be more than happy to kind of handhold you and, um, and, and help you get this. Because not only are individuals collecting this digital art piece, they are collecting an invitation to Ghana. And we're thinking about this idea, Cal. Mm -hmm. Every country that we showcase and visit, even though on a year-to-year -year basis, there's a big event and ceremony and experience that we curate, we're going to, we're going to roll out this service where if you have an NFT, right? Mm -hmm. You can visit any of the countries that we showcase at any point in the future. Oh. So let's say you ha you know you keep your Ghana NFT and you want to go to Ghana next year for a, a, you know a, a nominal fee, maybe it's $300, maybe it's $500. 
we will be able to still roll out the red carpet for you there. Mm -hmm. So you don't need to think about what am I going to do? You know, who am I going to see? We're going to do everything in terms of curating that trip for you, even if we're not necessarily hosting a big event in the country, right? you know, that particular year. So we're rolling out that service more than likely next year, which I'm sure will transition into our next conversation <laughs> if we don't have if we don't have a massive recession. <laughs> <laughs> well, that actually, uh, you read my notes? <laughs> <laughs> no, before we, we uh, actually do start running down that rabbit hole, well, first of all, I want to say that sounds amazing. Uh, that project, I definitely want to go check that out. Uh, trying to not do that while we're chatting so I can listen to you. <laughs> but um, I really like uh, what you're doing with the the use case. Like that is a definitive use. Like there is real value now with that NFT besides just the, you know, whatever the intrinsic value of the the subjective, you know, component, the art. The art. Yes. And this is something where someone's like, wait, so I buy this NFT for when we minted, it was $200. Now, because ETH is down, you know, it's probably about a hundred dollars now. So mm -hmm. think about this, Cal. Someone is like, I buy this NFT for a hundred dollars, and I can just show up to West Africa and get right. the, and, and attend a royal gala, attend your beachside cocktail event, attend excursions in the country. Like it, it's just mind blowing. Not to mention, we also have plans of hosting future cocktail events right. anywhere in the world. And once you have this NFT, you you can attend any of our cocktail events that we we we, we throw in the future. Mm -hmm. So something like this, it just makes it so simple where someone who doesn't even necessarily understand NFTs, they're like, oh yeah, this makes sense. I get it. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, and and this is where many individuals, you know, who are not in the space, they hear NFTs, they think of art, but no, the NFT is just a token that allows you to identify the owner of that token, right? So it mm -hmm. it encodes ownership, it, it it puts ownership or verifies ownership, and it puts that verification on the blockchain, right? So all we're doing is we are using the NFT to verify if a person is a royal. Yep. And that's the power. I wanted this to be like a basic use case to help get individuals to understand how powerful this technology is, right? Right. And, and how it could be used. Well, like just like when the internet first showed up, like until like the people started figuring out what you could do with it, like it kind of just sat around for a while. Yes. Have you been paying attention to the the thing? I, we just saw a story about this last week. The Sims creator is now working on a project with the blockchain uh, to create like a, a virtual world where NFTs, like it's being used as like a platform for the NFTs to be sold. Like the, the all the characters are their own like specific NFT, like that kind of stuff. Yeah, I haven't heard specifically of Sims, but I've heard of so many you know projects um, and companies, right from Disney. Mm -hmm. Um, to Warner Brothers. Um, I, I think last night I even saw that uh, Lord of the Rings. If I'm not mistaken, they are also looking to roll out something. Not to mention Reddit. Well, <laughs> I, I heard now Reddit is the new NFT place. Apparently, there there are three million you know NFT wallets or or so. Oh, and it's booming on Reddit. I haven't had time, you know, with all of the things that I'm doing to check it out. But um, once we get out of this bear market, I believe that on the other side is a great opportunity for crypto. Um, and, you know, it, it, I'm incredibly bullish on the technology, on the use cases of, of these assets. 
And, and I think it's obvious for anyone who still has a sense of doubt, it's obvious that we are more and more shifting towards a digital world. Mm-hmm. So it it does make sense that we will have digital currency and digital assets. There's no way around it. The real question is going to be what form those are going to take. Like, is the government going to let us adopt one that already exists? Or are they going to push the digital dollar? And and that's where perhaps we can look at the internet as a use case, right? Oh, okay. And I guess we can go back and forth because apparently the history of the internet is that it was a government, a U.S. government project. That that is, this is from memory, right? I haven't really gone and done the due diligence on this, but I heard that the use case. Not a use case, but the origin is is that back in like the 70s or or 80s, that it was something that was created in the US. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing about Bitcoin. We don't know who created it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yes. (laughs) And that that is the beauty of this technology. So even if it's the US that created it, they're not going to let anyone know that they created it. Because the problem with a currency is if you own a currency... You have to have the power, right? So like the U.S., the world reserve currency is the dollar. Mm -hmm. So the U.S. has to be a global superpower so that others use your currency, right? Yes. Bitcoin, because it's not associated with any country, it's not, no one knows who created it. It's not the U.S., it's not China, it's not Japan. Well, we, we have no clue. So it's easier to adopt. That's the, that's the thing that many people won't realize. Huh. Yeah, because if a country creates a digital currency, they have to be a superpower in order for everyone to use it. Or or if I should say, and I don't mean this the wrong way, but in order to force everyone else to use it. Just the trade dominance. like uh, Exactly. Like if you are the main exporter of all goods, then people are going to be more likely to use your currency just because it's easier. Absolutely. And you have the might and the power militarily, financially, you just have the power. So right. you you achieve global dominance. And yeah. So what Bitcoin does is that it no one knows who created it and it's decentralized. Let me ask you this question then. If people did know who invented it, do you think that would be, would that be bad for it? Would that be less likely for it to be adopted if people know knew the origin? Um, As a currency, Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it it would be, and and I know. I guess we can go back and forth and see is Bitcoin a currency? Ideally, at the baseline, we we can consider it a digital asset. But it, the creator Satoshi Nakamoto wanted it to be some kind of currency, like cross border currency, if you will, right? Right, right. But to directly answer your question, if we knew the founder, would it be bad? Ethereum, the number two. Oh <laughs> yeah, a good point. We know that the, the, the uh, creator, the creator is here in the U.S., right? Yeah. He was he was part of the Peter Thiel. Um, he had to not that he had to. He wanted to drop out of school. He received a Thiel Fellowship kind of scholarship. I think it's a hundred k or so, mm-hmm. and uh, went on and built. So no, for something that is globally adopted as a quote unquote currency, because Ethereum is more of like the best way to describe it, I would say an operating system, right? Yes. A, a crypto operating system that allows you to build anything in, 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 in crypto. So it's not trying to go out there to say, I am the global currency. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and the same way Google, right? Um, Apple, 
um, Microsoft. These are companies that are putting out services. So Ethereum. So for me, the way that I look at this crypto ecosystem to simplify for most individuals is moving forward, I would want to own half Bitcoin half Ethereum. Mm -hmm. That's the way that I, I, I view it. And, and I'm not talking about taking all of your net worth and putting half in Bitcoin, half in Ethereum. Right. <laughs> Allocation that you put towards crypto, maybe it's 5%, maybe it's 10%, right? Mm -hmm. And typically 10% is the max for the average person who hasn't gone to really steady crypto. Most people will max out at 10 because above 10%, you need some kind of massive conviction. Yes. Whereas 5 to 10%, um, you don't even need to learn much because losing 5%, and I'm not saying you're going to lose it, but losing 5% of your net worth is not going to you know, change right. your lifestyle in any way. Whereas someone like myself, where I'm, you know, I'm incredibly bullish, I might lean more around the 50 to 75% oh, wow. <laughs> range <laughs> with regards to, um, you know, net worth and, 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 and investment. Um, I, I kind of lost my trend of thought, you know, going, uh, you know, going around and. Oh, no, that's all right. Um, you mentioned Ethereum a couple of times, though. I did have some questions for you uh, regarding like the, your thoughts on the merge. Oh my gosh, what a phenomenal moment. What a phenomenal moment. For those who don't understand, so Ethereum was transitioning from proof of work yes. to proof of stake. And Kyle, if I forget, for people who want to understand proof of work, I'll just quickly explain why that's important. Oh, yes, go ahead, please. So proof of work, what it, what it does is for you to create a crypto asset, right? So the way that Bitcoin works and the way Ethereum used to work was you needed computer systems to kind of process these, to try and like solve this numeric problem to get an answer. And once you get an answer, the, the system will reward you in that particular crypto asset. That's how Bitcoin is created. That was the same for Ethereum. But that uses a ton of energy, right? It expends energy. Yes. And you remember how we had discussed the very first, first time we recorded, why does Bitcoin have value? Well, one, you're expending energy. Right. <laughs> so energy costs money. Yep. So Bitcoin should cost something, you know, just ask. <laughs> And most recently, I've heard this that I wanted to offer to you, Kyle, and the listeners, is the breakthrough with Bitcoin using proof of work, right? It's no different from if you want to go and mine gold, you need to go get tractors and you need to go and dig. You need to, you need to work, right. right? Prove to the seller that you have gold. Thank you. <laughs> you know, go put in work to get the gold. So it's the same thing, but it's, it's from like a computer standpoint. What it does is that it, it forces, when you think about, and I'm not like a physicist, but if you think about this concept of energy cannot be created or destroyed, so you cannot just make energy, right? Yes. Energy is there. So that means there's a finite amount of energy kind of in the world. Does that make sense? Because you can't create it and you can't destroy it. Right. It's, it's just there. So there's a finite quantity of energy. So that that makes sense. Now, Bitcoin has been tied to something that even in the physical world mm -hmm. is finite. <laughs> it's mind-blowing. So now you've, you've brought physical scarcity into the digital world by tying these two things. You have to do something in the physical world, like expend energy. It could be electricity. Mm -hmm. It could be anything. It just has to be energy. And then it creates a Bitcoin via a, you know, a powerful computer system. 
So now you have something that's scarce in the real world, which is energy, right? You don't have an unlimited amount of electricity or an unlimited amount of oil. So it forces scarcity in, in Bitcoin as well. Hmm. Now, what Ethereum did is try, they moved away from proof of work to yes. proof of stake. And proof of stake is more like what our system is like. <laughs> the people who have more of the people who have more of the money, the let me not call it wealth, but yeah, yeah, you know, you could see, yeah, that's who understand. <laughs> <laughs> if you have more of the money, more of the wealth, you get to 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 call the shots. You get to you know make the decisions, mm -hmm. if you will. That's a simple way to put it. So what people are doing now is they are going to put down a quantity of Ethereum. I believe it's either 32 mm -hmm. or 34. So you're going to stake your Ethereum. You're going to put the Ethereum down each person who's kind of validating the transaction. And you all will check the incoming data and then confirm that, oh, the info coming in is, is accurate. So everyone checking that data together will, will create a consensus that, oh yes, we have the right transactions and everything going on. Hmm. If someone tried to come in to fake a transaction, the 32 ETH that they put in, they, they lose it. So there's no incentive uh, to come in and try okay. and, you know, fake transactions. That is how, um, what it's transitioned to. As you can imagine, there's no proof of work now required. There's just people with Ethereum right. <laughs> making the decision. So the people with the money are now making the decision. And that doesn't cost a, a ton of energy. So Ethereum has reduced their energy usage by like 99.9%. Uh, and I think we've actually seen that in the uh, uh, the, the graphics cards uh, market. Like uh, I haven't checked the prices recently, but it seems like since that merge was completed or even in the start of the lead up to it, that the prices have finally started coming down on the cards that are used to mine cryptos. Yes, I, I, I think I overheard that on an NVIDIA yeah. <laughs> <laughs> earnings call. And, and yes, yes, absolutely. So we're using less energy, but now if the... If the power now shifts from the people who have computing power to the people who basically just have money, is there any danger mm -hmm. to that, do you think? That's what uh, the Bitcoin crew would say, right? Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> we are trying to create a new system where everyone is treated fairly. You go get your energy, you create Bitcoin, and also the holders, anyone can hold Bitcoin. You, you, you cannot reverse a Bitcoin transaction. But in the mm -hmm. case of Ethereum, and even this has been done before in the past, if there's a massive hack on the Ethereum blockchain, and this doesn't happen often, it just happened once mm -hmm. with, I think, a side chain or something like that. The entire, and this was very early, they, they paused the Ethereum um, chain and then reversed that transaction, <laughs> right? Wow. Yes. So many of the individuals in crypto are saying, wait, no, no, no. Now you all have so much power, you can even do what you want. It's not that they wanted a hack, but the point of this system is no one controls it. Right. Either ways, I say all of that to, and, and I was sharing with the listeners, I'm a believer in half Bitcoin, half Ethereum. Why? And that makes sense now. Yes. Uh, like you have, you're covering both bases in that case. You have the old system and the new system. 100% because we don't know if the government, specifically the US government, is going to feel threatened by Bitcoin. And I'm not saying that's what's going to happen because what if they created it? <laughs> right. <laughs> 
we don't know if the U.S. government is going to be threatened by Bitcoin and, and would prefer Ethereum. Mm-hmm. But for me, both of them, because if one of them becomes the main dominant crypto asset, for just to put some context around it for people who are listening, the amount of assets held in the real world as it relates to stocks, real estate, gold, everything combined is about $400 trillion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to put that into context, if, if only 5% of that $400 trillion is to move into digital assets, just 5%, I don't even want to say 10 right? which to me is obvious, or even 20%, which is even more obvious. Let's say 5% moves into this crypto assets. That means we should see crypto at $20 trillion. It's currently $1 trillion. Oh. Yes. That means on the baseline, there's a 20x growth from here. Huh. Yeah. Once you just start to simplify things and you look at this and you're like, oh, wow, this is not even complicated. It's so simple. And it's not as risky as the way individuals look at it because this technology is out there. Look at what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, at the beginning of the year, the White House put out a proposal that the different Department of, of, of Energy or this, like all of the different government agencies were, were required to go and study crypto. That was the White House order so that the U.S. can remain an innovative financial country and possibly, they didn't make this so obvious, but possibly embrace it. That was the context, right? <laughs> I, I think that uh, that order there and uh, Powell and Yellen's inability to even classify it is one one mark or check mark against <laughs> the U.S. having created it. But they are good at pretending. <laughs> 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 right? If well. you created it, you wouldn't want... Remember, we talked about the whole concept of currency. You wouldn't want the entire world to know, right? Because... Yeah. Um, and Ray Dalio did work on this. Um, every, what, 100 or 400 years or so, there's a new global power. I think 70 to 100 years, uh, you know, there's a new global power. Mm. So if that's the case, you would want something that is not, you know... Not tied to any specific country. Absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, that's the way I, I look at this space. And on the low end, like I said, a 5% is a 20x growth. But if crypto captures just 10% of that asset or even 20%, then you know we're talking 40x or 80x growth from here. And that's where it gets super exciting. For me, I think personally, right, I, I think it should be around 25%. That's what would make sense for me. I'm not saying 50%, mm-hmm. but 25% of, of 400 trillion is a lot of money. <laughs> it's 100 trillion. <laughs> it's 100 trillion, which is 100x from here. So, yeah. <laughs> so, how much of the, what's the right word, the distribution, I guess, of the assets in cal- uh, crypto or the allocation? Yes. Um, like, you've got the big two, and then, like, what's the split from? From them to the others. Oh my gosh. So we're looking at, and this this I'm doing off the top of my head. So it's an approximate estimate estimate. Mm-hmm. So we're looking at Bitcoin probably, you know, somewhere around 40. Bitcoin is literally around 40 to 50%. Ethereum is around 30 to 35%. And then all of the others, which you know are typically like 18,000 coins, will take up the remaining like 10 to 10 to 15%. 
So that's the other reason why you want the two, the big twos, because that's where they're like the blue chips at this point. Absolutely. And out of all of them, Bitcoin is the only one that we don't know who created it. <laughs> okay. Right. And you can't, you know, associate it with a particular country or founder or anything. It is the main um, kind of decentralized crypto asset. It's the OG. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, before we pivot uh, one more time, I do want to ask you real quick about the stable coins. Have you been following the, the collapse of uh, Terra? Yes, I have. Can you explain exactly what happened? Like, how is something that's supposed to be stable? How does it get decoupled from that like that? Yeah, so it it was Terra was an algorithmic stablecoin. What it means is that <laughs> they were trying to make it stable, right? Mm -hmm. So it's it it's not technically stable. It's something that they and they dreamed of of making. And the reason and it's fascinating. If you ask them, how are you making it stable? They were like, oh, we're buying a lot of Bitcoin to keep it in our reserves, and we're going to use Bitcoin to keep it stable. Well, everyone listening to this, I'm sure, knows and understands that Bitcoin can, can go down yes. and <laughs> it can go up exceedingly. So the founder, Do Kwan, I think he just envisioned Bitcoin just constantly going up because if you have an asset that's just going up, Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can use it to kind of um, stabilize your stable coin, if you will, because you will have more money than the individuals who are trying to, let's say, request for their money back, right? So to keep this simple, let's say you have 50,000 of a stable coin mm -hmm. and you have 50,000 of Bitcoin in reserves, right? And that Bitcoin is pegged at $50,000, right? To keep it simple. Yeah. If 50,000 people each have put in a dollar, so there's 50,000, if everyone wanted their money back and your Bitcoin was 50K, yeah, you can pay everyone. Right. And the system is still in place. Well, what happens if Bitcoin drops 50%? <laughs> and uh -huh. you have 25,000 and people thought they bought 50,000 worth because each person has a dollar. Now you're in trouble. And that's technically what happened. <laughs> so the problem isn't the theory behind stable coins. The problem is using something that's not stable to try to stabilize your product. <laughs> Does that sum it up? 100%. Okay. Oh, that makes perfect sense. USDC, which is US dollar stable coin, is backed by actual dollars or U.S. government treasuries, short-term treasuries, so like a three-month treasury, right? Mm -hmm. So it is literally interchangeable for a physical dollar, right? And USDC is trying to get their coin, if you will, approved, so it becomes the main digital dollar, mm -hmm. right? Obviously, there's talks about the central bank, the Fed, creating a, 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 a digital dollar, but can you imagine the person who creates it can track it? Oh, oh, yeah. So if the Fed created a digital dollar, it can know every country that has the dollar, everyone that has the dollar, 
It could literally create programs to say, hey, we're going to, you know, these people, and I'm not saying that's what's happening, but hey, these individuals are not listening to what the government is saying. We're just going to turn off the... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we kind of do that already, don't we, with sanctions and freezing people's assets? Exactly. But this time I'm talking about it as in not only countries, but even within the country, right? Yeah. Oh, you, you are not listening to us. We'll just turn off your dollar, right? Oh, that is that sounds scary. <laughs> it, it does sound scary. So that's another proponent. You cannot turn off Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no matter who you are, you can't turn off Bitcoin because it's not a centralized thing. So with that being said, it makes it so that USDC is is more appealing mm-hmm. to the average person because they are not tracking who has USDC. It is it's just a, a private kind of dollar, right? Which is backed by the government. So it's in my opinion just much better and more likely to see success. Now here's another thing that everyone who's listening um, is going to really enjoy and love especially if they are, you know, a U.S. citizen or, you know, born and raised in the U.S. or they have a permanent uh, resident status in the U.S. It is this, the entire world we know wants dollars. Well, if you digitize the dollar, the dollar is able to move at the fastest rate it's ever moved in history because literally that the dollar can get everywhere in seconds. All of a sudden, you can have individuals in developing countries like where I'm from, Ghana, all of a sudden, they might keep their day-to-day expenses in local currency, but they can keep all of their lifetime savings in dollars. Because why wouldn't you want to own the most, (laughs) you know, the strongest currency of all? So this allows the dollar to even proliferate many countries. Right, right. Right. Imagine India. Um, I can go on and on, but you get where I'm going with this. Like, we need to, and this is why I am 100% of the mindset that we're going to see a digital dollar, mm-hmm. a private one, right? USDC approved either before, well, it's very close. So, you know, either this year or definitely um, next year. That That is a, 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 a must because the U.S. has everything to gain from doing that. Sounds like it. Mm-hmm. It makes you wonder why what's taking so long. Ah, you know, what's uh, <laughs> the government? Bureaucrat- <laughs> bureaucracy, you know, just slow moving. You know, yes. <laughs> they also have a recession they're dealing with right now, too. Longtime fans of the show should be familiar with the lender formerly known as Sue Pullen, and I'm pleased to announce that she's back, fresh off a of rebrand and ready to help as Sue Mackey. Sue is a certified mortgage advisor at Fairway Independent Mortgage, an equal housing lender who focuses on finding the right product for you and your needs. She has over 20 years of experience helping thousands of homeowners. Whether it's purchasing, refinancing, or even a reverse mortgage, Sue will help. Sue's licensed in 36 states now, so reach out and let Sue Mackey it happen for you. The best way to reach her is just give her a call at 520-977-7904 or in an email spullen at fairwaymc.com. Fairway Independent Mortgage has an MLS number of 2289. Sue Mackey has an MLS number of 206048. That email again, spullen at fairwaymc.com. And that phone number is 520-977-7904. Shoot Sue an email and let her know she needs to update that address. I know. And trying to... Well, wait, actually, what's your take on that? Are we in a recession now? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. 
even though the White House said that that's not true. Yeah, you you don't get to cherry pick your recessions. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, how are you defining a recession then? Let's start with that. Yeah. Well, that's a very good question. I'm I'm just sticking to the old definition, which is you know in quote a technical recession, which is just two quarters of um, negative shrinking GDP. GDP, yes. I'm just sticking with that because it's been kind of like the main technical indicator. But the reason that I would say that we are, I guess the better way to phrase it is we're heading towards a recession. That's that, that's even much better, honestly. Well, uh, looking at the history of recessions, how often are they actually identified at the start of them anyway? Yeah, very rarely. That's true. I don't, I don't have a whole lot of experience with that or remember as many of them but uh mike yeah it's always looking back right oh by the way we were in a recession during this period <laughs> yeah, and then, but no it's okay now it's all good we're out of it <laughs> yes yes and the reason uh i know with i guess saying a hundred percent certainty makes it seem like you're a bit you know like in quotes cocky or know it all so mm-hmm. i'll just say 99.9 percent Right to leave that ounce of of hey you know you could be wrong you can change my mind but it's going to be hard <laughs> yes <laughs> and the reason I say this is because of what's currently happening right the mm-hmm. the Fed right if you listen to Jay Powell's speech at Jackson Hole over this summer he mm-hmm. explicitly stated that uh, we need to bring inflation down right and we will get the job done and there's going to be pain yep but. The pain is what we need to keep kind of financial stability, right? Mm-hmm. So economic pain means recession, right? So the, the chairman of the Federal Reserve that controls our monetary policy, which means he controls the flows of credit, if you will, in our financial system, is telling you that things are going to be tight, right? And if things are tight, it means it's a recession. So that is why I... Uh, believe with a hundred percent, well, ninety nine point nine percent certainty <laughs> that we are. It wouldn't fall to if you said a hundred percent. I know <laughs> we're headed squarely towards a recession. This one seems different, though, doesn't it? It does. I mean, we have a really strong jobs market. It does. Like a lot of the the inflation concerns seem like they're based on supply chain issues rather than actual like traditional inflationary pressures. Mm. Well, I, I would push back a little bit. Right. It used to. Uh, maybe not now. <laughs> exactly. 100%. Right. Um, we'll say supply chain um, issues was definitely one of the main culprits. But let's not forget the demand side of the equation when, you know, a ton of money was pumped into the system. Mm-hmm. And this is where going back to our earlier discussion around being at a party and wondering if the inflation police is coming in to stop it. Yep. Right? We spoke about that analogy the last time that we spoke. Well, during the first year of the uh, pandemic, when individuals were calling for inflation, even that summer of 2020, I was like, no, like there's not going to be inflation because the economy was shut down. So Mm -hmm. we're losing some percentage of GDP and they are just filling it, right? So let's say... There's $20 trillion of economic value that's made in the U.S., right? Mm-hmm. And now they've put in $2 trillion, which was, I think, the original package, if I'm not mistaken, which is just a 10% of GDP. 
So I'm like, no, there's definitely not any inflation. Like they are, they are bridging that gap. Well, and this is my fault, but I just got used to it. I got used to the money in the system, right? Yeah, yeah. And 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 I I lost track. I lost track of the fact that we went on and issued two more care packages. Mm-hmm. You know, and and while that's happening, the Federal Reserve increased their balance sheets by like four and a half trillion. And on the fiscal side, there's also trillions being put in. I was listening to. I don't know if it was Larry Summers or Ray Dalio who stated that, oh, or Peter Druckin, um Miller, he stated that 30 trillion or so was, was created. In, you know, and I was like, wait, in my calculation back then, it was just 2 trillion. If, if I knew 30 trillion was what was created or if I had been staying, you know. I think we, we saw some, like there was more money created that year than like in the history of money, I think, wasn't there? Yeah, I I heard was it twenty or thirty percent more money created um, than yeah the history absolutely going back yeah so with with individuals who are looking and they are seeing that oh thirty trillion has been created and and the reason they saw that is because they are looking at both the fiscal which is government they are looking at what is being created at the Federal Reserve they are also looking at what is being permitted to be created maybe through bank our banking them and things of that nature so they are they are adding everything up and you know we were just in the thick of it there's just money coming in money going out and you know you kind of just forget that on a year-to-year basis there is 20 trillion in terms of gdp Mm -hmm. and you know this went overboard so clearly all the signs were pointing to inflation coming um back then I wasn't a core believer that inflation was coming. Um, having to... When we spoke? When we... It's not that I wasn't a core... I was going to say, when we spoke, you you were sounding the warning bells. When we talked, I remember you were men- like specifically mentioned how home prices skyrocketing and nobody asking the question why. <laughs> yeah, when I say when I say that inflation coming i mean to the level that we are at oh right it, it i just it was it was shocking to to look back at and say yeah. how did we come to 9% right <laughs> right and, and whether or not this inflation that we're seeing in 2021 when we spoke was more temporary right mm-hmm. and and maybe being around the five percent range where it was and and receding back to about three percent or you know going over overboard to about nine percent and that's where looking back i was very cautious about inflation but looking back i was like i didn't foresee a nine percent and and every single day now when i look back i was like you know what did you miss right to speak and it's it's a few things. <laughs> <laughs> the first is that one, I was I was hyper focused on the fiscal side of things, the money mm-hmm. that was being created by the government, and it was at that point it was mainly what had been done in 2020 prior to our call because I think we spoke around like February or so, right? So prior to our yeah, call, I think so. Mm-hmm, it was mainly what had been done by government. So I was looking at the number that you know, was being created by governments. 
Not to mention there were some being created at the central banks, you know, the Fed and, and things of that nature. Not to mention other central banks across the world were also printing money. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. So looking back, I would have been way more cautious. Would I have changed my strategy? Probably not, right? Because you you all know that I'm mainly a long-term investor. So for me, it's not really trying to time the market per se. It is being able to make sure you're getting good investments that you're holding, you know, for the long term. But this, I have to hand it to you, Kyle. This would have been a fantastic market to to trade. And the reason I say that is from twenty from the start of twenty twenty two, I knew that the tide had turned. Mm-hmm. So I personally didn't even buy any long term investments, right? Because I anticipated that everything is going to be moving lower. So mm-hmm. imagine as a trader with this kind of, uh, you know, I guess, knowledge and insights, I would have done really well. <laughs> <laughs> if if your head was good, if you that's the hardest part of trading. It's seeing the, the stuff isn't as hard as actually being able to execute with discipline. That that is so true. And and you would know best, right? Because um that's kind of what you do. Whereas for me, I'm looking back and I'm like, hmm. I, you know, I see this happening. But to your point, many of the traders do mention that same thing, which is once you have your trading plan or trading strategy, you have to stick to it, right? You have to be disciplined. All strategies are pretty much interchangeable. You really just have to find one that really speaks to you, that you feel and uh, like can follow. And and it's it's all about the, the headspace, like it's all in your head such a tough game you really have to understand yourself more than anything else you you have to such a weird thing isn't it (laughs) i guess that's the point of life also right i know right (laughs) yeah it is is getting deep but you have to uh, know and understand yourself i find it interesting that you like crypto so much but you don't trade yeah um it's it's so should i share with you the reason why i don't trade oh sure it's been tough for me this year because I just see everything that's going on. And the fact that I study, you know, global macroeconomics at such a level, mm-hmm. I just feel like if I was a trader, right, and not trying to toot my own horn here, but I just feel like, you know, at, at the very least, I'll do well, <laughs> at, at the least. Mm-hmm. Um, so my experience was life started in Bronx, New York. And I remember I was working this day. I had worked for an entire week. It was a Friday in New York, Mm -hmm. Fordham Road. And I get out. I had just been paid $250. Back then, you know, working for minimum wage, they literally hand you your paycheck in cash. Oh, I remember that. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I remember getting a check and having to go to the bank and cash it. (laughs) So they give me this money. I'm walking down uh, from work and I see a group of, uh, you know, young um, men, you know, kind of playing and everyone is screaming and I go and look. And it's just this game where they there's this ball with cops and they roll the cops. And if you can point to where the ball is, you can double your money. Oh, three-card money kind of <laughs> thing? It wasn't even Uh-oh. cards. It was just like, uh, you know, the red cups. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and then, you know, they do, yeah. And that was the first time actually seeing something like that, believe it or not. Hmm. Right? Because I was born and raised in Ghana. <laughs> so, oh, man, that's sad. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It, it is. So I stood there for about five minutes just watching several people play, honestly. Mm-hmm. And, man, every time I would pick the ball in the cup in my mind, 
it would be exactly that. Yeah. So after seeing that for like five minutes, I was like, yeah, let me go in. Let me go in. So I put $100 down out of the 250 I was holding. And I was thinking, oh, man, easy money. <laughs> yeah. Uh. And I picked the first cup. It's gone. And it was gone so fast. I was like, no, this is this was definitely a mistake. So let me put down another 100 Oh, no. I know. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and it was gone. I was left with 50 I walked away from there crying. Yeah crying i saw two hundred dollars um, that i had worked with for f- worked for for one week evaporate in um seconds or if i should say a, a minute and a half or so right and um that was the moment that i i essentially was like yeah i'm never gonna gamble mm-hmm. i'm never gonna gamble i'm never gonna you know um just take a huge big bet without data without right. facts right so you know, maybe to, I don't know whether it's to my credit or not, I kind of lumped day trading, which is very short-term trading mm-hmm. into that kind of bucket in my mind, right? Because, you know, back then, maybe it's different now, but back then I felt like you're, you're guessing whether a stock is going to go up and down within a day. And how do you know what's going to happen, right? If it was maybe for a longer period, maybe weeks or months, preferably months, Mm-hmm. That 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 I could kind of you know kind of understand, right? Well, you know, markets are fractal, right? So I mean, the the patterns that play out that clue you in on a swing trade like that, like a trade that takes you know a few weeks to a couple months, those same patterns play out on the intraday level as well. Mm, you see, and and this is where you have the expertise because I haven't looked at any of these things, right? But from the mindset of someone who is a novice. Um, at trading because I, I haven't but also sounds like risk averse too what was that uh, i would also throw out the term risk averse that that too right that experience and the the thing that i do need to share is mm-hmm. there are successful traders out there oh right? yeah there are successful traders so it's not that there isn't an art and a science and a science around this or that it's not being done it is a person's particular experience leading them in a particular direction, which was mine. Mm-hmm. So for me, the way I, I take it as, you know, hey, Hans, you are supposed to be the one teaching others about long-term investing. Mm-hmm. That's the way that I I take my story as, right? Like I, I, I say God doesn't want me personally, not others, but me to be hyper focused on trading because maybe I'm maybe I might do you know well there and there's that lost opportunity of who is going to teach people about investing in a 401k you know um, right. having some allocation to index funds like the S&P 500 and getting stocks of companies that you love and understand like the apples amazons right and holding them for the long term who's going to be doing that if let's say I'm doing well trading I, I won't be doing that you get right. so I think that um that experience was meant to happen because it kept me away from you know trying to riskier yeah riskier things exactly but you're saying riskier but many people will consider crypto to to be extremely risky right mm-hmm. but I look at it from a very long term perspective I also look at it from the standpoint that uh, many underrepresented groups and communities missed out on some of the greatest technology. Mm-hmm. And we missed out as investors of those technologies. We didn't hold any assets, you know, with those new emerging technologies. So we didn't benefit on the upside. 
So my core belief is get some exposure, right? Could be yeah. 2%, 3%. I, I don't, it could be 1%. Um, <laughs> honestly, <laughs> honestly, it could be 1% because- 20 years from now, you're going to want it. Absolutely. With the calculation I shared with you, if, if it, it gets 5% of, of global assets and that's 20 trillion, that's a 20X growth. Well, 20X yep. means that if someone owns just 1% of Bitcoin or, or of crypto, right? Let's say Bitcoin and Ethereum. Well, if we get a 20X growth, that automatically reprices to being worth 20% of your portfolio without you mm-hmm. doing anything, <laughs> right? <laughs> yep. Without you doing anything, it reprices to be worth 20% of your portfolio. But if you own, let's say, 10% of it, oh, that's where it gets really exciting, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> because a 10x growth or a 20x growth on 10%, you know, and I don't want to do quick percentages kind of break down in my mind, but you can end up looking somewhere around 90, 95% or, or higher. Yeah. Probably even 99 or so percent or higher, depending on how the other stocks or equities in that portfolio performs. Well, Hans, I'm glad that you took the path you did because I think you're doing a phenomenal job oh. teaching teaching people about investing and you're a fabulous spokesperson for the crypto and NFT community, <laughs> one of our favorite guests. Thank you. Thank you. I really, really appreciate it. I, I just don't want us to miss out. Um, I don't <laughs> want us to miss out, honestly. I think you'd be a fantastic trader if you uh, ever put your mind to it. But I also understand the- Man. I understand that you got to believe in it and want it too. I feel it in my heart. Like just that right there. You can't replace that. You can't fake that. Mm -hmm. I feel it in my, like this year specifically, I've really Mm -hmm. felt it like, man, if I was a trader, man, I, I just feel it because even around June, July, after that high that happened, right? Mm-hmm. It's fascinating how I, and, and I'll share with you how I could get a sense of that high in the market, that June high. Mm-hmm. And it's because the Federal Reserve was, they had this two month period where they weren't, you know, speaking to the public or hosting any of their, their meetings, their monthly meetings. Right. So I was like, there it goes. The market has a free range to just believe whatever they want to believe. And the market did. <laughs> yep. <laughs> because the Fed wasn't saying anything. So the market just went on on a, on a tear. And the point it stopped was after. Jay Powell's, uh, you know, speech at Jackson Hole. <laughs> yeah, right. So you, as a trader, you could literally have just, you know, who studies the market very, 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 very closely. And I'm sharing this from someone who looks at it from trying to anticipate based on, you know, macroeconomic conditions, what's going to happen. Obviously, I am 100% sure, and I see this because I watch other traders, how you can look at charts to anticipate certain movements because of probabilities of certain happening. Mm -hmm. But I have no idea how to recharge. So imagine combining kind of like a macro lens with maybe you're seeing something in the charts that even refines your knowledge and insights to be able to make incredible uh, decisions. So this year I've been really, you know, feeling the FOMO of, man, I wish I was a trader. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's some uh, some awesome resources out there. I can point you to them uh, anytime you want to uh, start like diving into like technical analysis or learning. Like, I think that that is uh, good for everyone to understand mm. whether you're going to trade with it or just be an investor, because that'll at least help you pick better entries for you know the investments that you do want to hold. Yeah, and I do want to because to your point, I think that would have even helped me 
in give and take 2021 because perhaps I, you know, could have gotten a sense of, let's call it the top of the market, mm. right? Right. Because I've been a, a mainly fundamental kind of analysis person. I, I don't look at charts. Mm-hmm. So that would have been so, so helpful. Something like, you know, and this might seem basic to you, but apparently like the 200-day moving average tells you a lot <laughs> about <laughs> long-term trend. Good, yeah. and, yep. and, you know, this past year or so is when I heard about 200-day moving average. And I'm like, what? Come on. You know, <laughs> so, so yes, uh, please do share the resources. I would love, love, love to begin kind of diving in. Well, I would highly recommend Trade Pro Academy's uh, fundamentals course. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is like a crash course and in like institutional level technical analysis. Excellent. I'm I'm gonna put that on my to do list. And and Carl, if I could share this as something that I would want your listeners for the you know traders that are yes for the here. people who want to understand macroeconomics yes specifically yes. for the next uh trading move which i might not be able to partake in because i don't know how long it would take me to learn <laughs> all of this <laughs> uh, what i would want to share with you is the um the federal reserve is going to have to pivot at some point what that means yes. is they're going to have to pause at at some point with regards to kind of the quantitative tightening and the mm-hmm. increasing of interest rates they are going to have to pause my estimates is that that pause will come anywhere between, let's call it um, December of this year to, to, let's say, March or April. I'm leaning more towards first quarter of next year as when the pause is going to come, in all honesty. Um, Do you think they'll start reducing the rate of increases before then? Yes. Yeah. I feel like they have to do something before the midterm elections. It's, it, and I was thinking about it. I believe the midterm election, is it? So the Fed is meeting on the 13th. Oh, I thought it was the first week of November. I let's might see, have that wrong. Unless I have it either. Let's let's definitely find out because I believe... Yeah, I'll look it up right now okay, while you're talking. Okay, yes. So I know there's something happening on the 13th. I hope maybe it's the election that's happening on, on the 13th. But this, this November meeting, I just feel it's going to be 75 basis points because of the inflation prints that we had, right? Core CPI mm-hmm. was 6.6%. Now, core CPI is really what they pay attention to because it strips out energy and food, the most volatile components of an inflation uh, basket. So if you're looking at your core inflation heading up, it's going to be very strange for them to do like a 50 basis points hike. So more than likely, this November 75 is baked in. So if it is really, and have you discovered when it is? Uh, it looks like the meeting is on the first and second, but that doesn't necessarily tell you when the uh, ah the meeting all the information comes out. Gotcha. Yeah, that, that means it, it's coming out on the second. But the market consensus is it's going to be 75. If it's not 75, I am going to know with with confidence that uh, the Fed can be skewed politically, right? (laughs) It's going to be quite clear to the market. And the market is going to rip if that's the case, like literally like four. Well, I I think even if they just come out and say, okay, this is the last 75 bit hike. That is is also another. I think that's all you need. That's also another very, very good point you bring up because then it signals without you necessarily doing much that, hey, this is the top. 
in terms of uh, you know rate hikes, and we're yep. going to be seeing lower numbers from here. That's also a very you know that's a, a strategic way to walk that fine line. Yeah. Yes, yes, <laughs> and I'm I'm sure that's what's going to happen. Well, we've already seen uh, members speaking up about bringing up the question, and I think they've even mentioned that this meeting coming up that's when that's going to be one of the key discussions. Yeah, was when to start you know t- uh, slowing the pace of, of the hikes. Hikes, yeah. So pay attention to that. So when that pivot starts to happen, because the man- the market is going to begin to kind of soar, mm-hmm. but it's the market is really going to soar when a pivot happens. Oh yeah. Meaning pivot meaning like they are going they are going to stop and watch, right? Mm-hmm. Now this is going to be very very important because the pivot happens, the market is going to take off. But what we need to identify is on the other side of that pivot, what happens, right? Do we get mm. a few more rate increases because that is going to bring the market down again? Or would inflation peak, meaning that we will never see a higher inflation print once the pause happens? Because if we don't, then it means everything is it's just smooth sailing from there, right? Yeah. There's a speculation that we could see inflation pick back up. Right. And that's a speculation. We, we don't know if it's going to happen hmm. or that we can see earnings reports kind of, you know, that's when recession hits the market where like, you know, sometime, let's say summer of 2023, you know, economy becomes weak, recession hits, high unemployment, things begin to kind of uh, just go downwards, mm-hmm. earnings, um, revisions. I hope we don't throw in maybe a, 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 a another bump in inflation because if you combine those two, that is just a recipe for concern. But um, that's what I'll be keeping an eye on. That reversal by the Fed and the pivot, I would say, would be great, 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 great um, opportunities. Not to mention, I'm sure, Kyle, you, you're going to add some technical uh, things that you can be looking out for as well. <laughs> I mean, really just paying attention to market structure. Mm. I know one thing that we talked about wanting to see before we... Uh, one of the things, I, I, I don't remember if that was when we were talking with you or not, or if that was afterwards, but we have been looking for at least the COVID uh, highs to get revisited and... Mm. We came really close this last push down, but didn't quite get there. Mm, that's that's another that's another thing that I'm I'm looking at from a so the way I view it is I'm looking at the COVID highs and mm-hmm. also the COVID lows. Yeah. Um I'm not saying we have to go because I'm not, you know, I don't look at things from a technical standpoint. I'm looking at the COVID lows as the absolute absolute like like the worst the of worst the worst case, case the worst yeah. of the worst case scenario but i just want to see what that is right and some point in between seems kind of uh you know if things get bad some point in between but mm-hmm. definitely that the, you know the, the 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 high of that which i don't have like a chart in front of me yeah, right? it's about 340 or just shy of 340 gotcha uh let's see the low was to right about 218 yes to some yes yes yes. that's a pretty big spread it's a huge (laughs) spread so so we you know so in my mind i'm like you know if there's some kind of combination of the two we could see somewhere around i'm not saying this is what's going to happen because it depends on so many factors and that's why you can't really predict exactly what's going to happen but you know do we fall somewhere in between like the three excuse me 270 280 um, right. type range, you know, it's, it's... Well, unfortunately, it'd be impossible to tell until we actually get to those points. Absolutely. Uh, with, with technical analysis, all you're really getting is areas where you know buyers and sellers should be interested mm. in. 
And then you have to wait for confirmation to see which side is going to actually win that fight. Wow. This sounds this sounds interesting. It, yeah, I think you'll be very interested. <laughs> I'll make sure I get that link to you. Um, we're starting to run a little bit long. I don't want to. I know you probably got other meetings for the day. Mm-hmm. For the the listeners who want to learn more about you or follow more, follow you, uh, learn more about the Investing Tutor. Do you have um, links or resources? Yeah, websites you want to share? Absolutely. So my website. Oh well. Before I dive into that, just wanted to thank you, Kyle, for you know a great conversation. I always. Oh no, thank you for coming back. Yeah, always love speaking to you and your audience. It's it's always fun, and and look forward to it always. Um, well, to make sure less time goes by next time. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. For those listening, uh, my website is theinvestingtutor.com. Uh, and for Black Friday and also early next year, I'm rolling out two things, which, you know, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll check. No, oh, yeah, please. Black Friday, what I want to do is to um, roll out this topic of billionaires. What are, you know, these billionaires, what have they done or what are they preparing to do in terms of how they are allocating their money during a recession, mm. right? So I'm going back and kind of studying, you know, these individuals to look at how have they positioned themselves to navigate this recession? So the Black Friday offer would, would be that. And in terms of price point, it would be about $100 for that. Oh, ain't bad. And next year, I am revamping all of my programs. So instead of having you know, my programs priced at different you know, price points, because I'm, I'm con- continuously learning so much, that I'm mm-hmm. creating so many new programs. <laughs> <laughs> so instead of doing that, I'm just going to have like a monthly subscription or a yearly subscription, right? Which will range between $30 a month or $25 a month to $50 a month. I still have to mm-hmm. figure out what price point I settle on. So individuals have access to everything, right? Like all of the programs that I offer. So they don't have to pay a few hundred dollars here, a few hundred dollars there. They just have access. Oh, I love that. Yeah, everything from my private tutoring programs, which are a few thousand dollars to get access to that information, um, because that's more in-depth kind of fundamental analysis, to mm-hmm. the workshops or masterclasses that I host, like what I'm sharing with you, you know, this Black Friday, individuals who have access to all of that for that subscription payment, and I'll be launching that next year. So I'm pretty excited about that because I'm I'm more than likely going to add kind of like a weekly office hours type thing where I'm uh-huh. consistently sharing all of the updates that I'm getting on in markets. And also during the week, if there's something important going out, I can send out an email, right? When you have a, a base of kind of monthly subscribers or yearly subscribers, there's that incentive to, oh, let, yeah, let me go put this out. Let me, let me do yeah, this. Let me yeah. do that. And, and yeah, so that's um, what I'm working on. Are you going to do it as an NFT? Ah, I, I should probably. I think you should. I should probably, yeah, roll out an NFT for this as well. That is yeah. a great idea that I didn't even think of. That. <laughs> I, I, oh, I, I think you. <laughs> I think you would have got there. I know. Eventually, you're right. I try to keep it simple because most individuals just mainly use like some kind of card to make their payments. So yeah, know, yeah. And and I will likely do that. Uh, you know, allow card payments, but you know, maybe we can airdrop an NFT to yeah. who are our subscribers. Oh, I love it. Uh, so the investing tutor.com. And then we also have the royals.art if people want to check those out. And if anybody wants to email Hans, um, we'll have his uh, email address in the episode description as well. But that was Hans at the investing tutor.com. Absolutely. Dr. Hans. Kyle, thank you so much.
Thank you so much, too, for coming back. Uh, like I said, I'm going to get you scheduled again um, in the next couple of months. Uh, so that way I don't have to wait so long. Yeah, um, <laughs> I'm so curious. I'm so curious what the market uh, is going to look like around March, right? So please, mm-hmm. as soon as something major happens, like what happened in the UK, maybe in the US where, you know, um, and for those who don't know, UK pension funds were about to go under. So the UK central mm-hmm. bank had to step in to, you know, pump liquidity or, you know, quantitative easing into the system in the US, excuse me, UK, to keep uh, financial markets, you know, kind of chugging along. Right. Are we going to see some kind of a liquidity event here in the US? What's it going to do? You know, so many questions going on in, in my mind. So yes, let's definitely do that sometime uh, next year and uh, look forward to it. All right. Thanks again, Dr. Hans. Uh, And thanks again, everybody, for listening. Uh, We'll be back at you soon with another fantastic guest episode. Uh, And we should have some trading information coming out on Wednesdays. And if you enjoyed this guest or if you'd like to check out any of our others, we've got a great catalog of past guests. Uh, Dr. Hans is on there with his uh, previous one. If you missed that, recommend you check all those out. But uh, fortunately, we got to close up shop and turn the mics off because Dr. Hans has a real job. We can't keep him all day, fortunately. <laughs> it's always no, it's always uh, it's always a pleasure to speak with you all. Uh, so yeah, we'll talk soon. All right, sounds good. All right, thanks again, everybody, for listening. Have a good day. Two Bulls in a China Shop is an entertainment program, and all thoughts and opinions expressed in the show belong to the hosts and not of any company. They are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security or investment product. It is only intended to provide entertainment about stocks and the financial industry of trading. If you make trades based on what you hear in this show, you assume all risks for those trades.